Again, uh, John chapter 8, we're going to read verses, or we're going to cover verses 31 through 59. Does this mic sound okay? Does everybody hear me all right? Okay. Verses 31 through 59. So that's the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Let me read these verses for us. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen, what I have, what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I have heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you said you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Father, if we are to understand what is before us, then we need You to help us. We need You to give us understanding, Father. And so we ask that as we spend our time together, that the Holy Spirit this morning will be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Dr. Sproul, in this introduction of this commentary, he, he started uh, this section, this chapter, with a question. He says, if, uh, if you are more of a statement, if you've watched any of the recent presidential debates, okay, then you will agree that the art of debate is at an all-time low. Okay, if, if you watch that, would you not agree? What, how would you describe presidential debates of late? How would you describe them? Do you see? Blaming. Blaming. Blaming, okay. Blame game. What else? Anybody else? Hostile. Hostile, okay. That's a good one. Character assassination. Character assassination. Anything else? Anybody else? Nobody's describing that as actually a debate. Has anybody witnessed a really good debate lately? Um, it's, It's hard to find. These days, right? But there is an art of debate. There is a way to do it, right? Uh, you can you can uh, disagree with one another without being disagreeable. Okay, that's one one lesson that we can learn, right, from uh, debate. But debate is in an all time low. Uh, in the verses before us today, we see Jesus Himself in a debate with a hostile group, and there are several important insights for us to gain uh, as Christians from this debate. Now, last week we learned that as he spoke these words, they said, uh, John tells us that many believed in him. We have that in verse 30. So our passage today begins with Jesus' words to these new believers. Verses 31 and 32, he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I agree with Dr. Sproul and many others that there's probably enough truth packed in those two verses to warrant a completely separate book. Okay, uh, uh, We could devote a whole series of lessons right, on these two verses. Well, we obviously don't have time for that today. We're not going to do that. Uh, but let's first look at the distinction Jesus made between those who are his disciples and those who are not. There is a necessary condition, as Jesus outlines, and we've talked about that before. And what is the necessary condition? What what separates Jesus' uh, disciples and those who are not? Well, here in this section, it's that uh, idea of abiding. Okay, Uh, Specifically, abiding or remaining in His Word. Okay, That's the distinction Jesus is making here. We've already seen some examples of followers who did not abide or remain in His words. Just a couple of chapters ago, right? In chapter 6. Remember when we studied chapter 6? That was when Jesus taught about Himself being the bread of life. And it was one of those hard sayings. You remember we talked about that. The hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, it was it was hard to understand. It was hard to hear. And uh, remember what uh, and Jesus was talking about in that section. Jesus was talking about man's natural inability to come to Him. Jesus made it very clear 
okay, about man's natural inclination. Man does not want the things of God um, naturally. And so at that time, when many people, when they heard that, what does it tell us? That many of his disciples walked with him no more. They left. They never joined him back. Clearly, they had started out very well, but they did not possess saving faith. They did not abide. They did not remain in his word. They, they believed Jesus up to a point, right? They believed him up to a point. But when the real matters were at stake, they left. When it got tough, they left. When the things got hard, hard sayings, they left Jesus uh, their discipleship was temporary. Uh, therefore, as we know, we talked about this last week, it was not genuine, it wasn't real. Now, it's important uh, to understand the difference between saving faith, which we've talked about before, which is a possession of a true believer. It's, it's saving faith is more, this possession of faith is more than a mere profession of faith. I'm trying to be clear with my words. I'm Southern. I tend to slur things, right? Uh, but I'm trying to be clear. It's a, there's a difference. A possession of faith and a profession of faith. Uh, many people think that they will enter the kingdom of God based solely on a profession of faith. Archie said many people will come and say, well, a preacher, I, I, I was at a church service. I was at an evangelistic event. I heard an altar call. I was moved. I, I went uh, down uh, to the altar. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I signed the card. Right? Doesn't that make me a Christian? Well, as Dr. Sproul put it, the only answer I can give to that is maybe. Maybe. It is not the profession of faith that gets you into heaven. It is the possession of faith. We must possess what we profess. And that's what Jesus is saying here about the test of believers. He's, he's putting this test before the people and it was a test of staying power. Does your faith have staying power? In Matthew seven twenty one, uh, the words of our Lord: Not everyone says to who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, we see Jesus' words here in this chapter: If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, do you see the links here? Do you see what Jesus is trying to connect the dots for people? He's saying that remaining. In the word, staying with the word makes you a disciple by staying with Jesus, with his word, you know the truth and by remaining. OK, and knowing the truth. What's he saying? You are set free. That's how you are set free by staying and remaining. We've seen um, there's been many, uh, probably uh, some instances in your own life, I know it's been in mine, when uh, maybe uh, I was not staying in the Word like I should have. What, what do you notice? What, what do you notice? Is, do you have that same spirit of freedom? 
when you do that? Or do you start finding yourself in that spirit of bondage, which we're going to talk some more about, slave to ultimately your own desires? When you walk away from Him, when you don't abide in His Word, and Jesus is connecting these things, you have to remain, and you have to stay to know the truth, and then by that you are set free. Now, with these words, Jesus was encouraging the people here to stay with Him. It's, he says he's going to, you know, it's kind of saying we, we kind of know because we know the end of the story, right? But but it's about to get hard. Jesus is trying to encourage them. If you stay with me, then you will definitely you will be set free. Now, it's with that that with while uh, this response was directed to who, who's he talking to? He's talking about the many people who believe. Remember, we had the conversation, we had the interaction in the last and in, in, in the previous parts of this chapter. It was Jesus and the Pharisees, but other people were watching. Remember, there was a debate. They were very mad at him. They were upset. But there were other people listening. And it says other people believed. Many believed because they were watching what's going on. So Jesus is talking to them. But where does the response come from? He's talking to the believers. The response comes from the Pharisees. Verse 33 says, The Pharisees, We are Abraham's descendants. And we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, they, they as you can imagine, are furious with Jesus at saying they were in some kind of bondage. How can how dare you say that we are in bondage? Now we, we know that the Jews, and even at this point, had had often been uh, in some sort of political uh, subjection to other nations, right? Uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, and now they're under Roman occupation, right? Um, so the I was not talking about that. What they're referring to is an inward sense of freedom. That's kind of what they're referring to. They were, it's like they were saying, we are Abraham's descendants. We haven't been in bondage to anyone. I'll show you my birth certificate. I'll show you my heritage, right? Uh, that's, that's what they were trying to say. Now, what the Pharisees uh, were counting on as far as their um, acceptance into the family, they were counting on what? Biological lineage that's what the pharisees are counting on right i am a jew by heritage by lineage um my my family tree is what gets me into heaven right that's that's if you don't believe it here it is let me show it to you it's the family tree and they were resting on that to make them acceptable to god it's because of how who i was born to my bloodline that's how i'm accepted into heaven well is that, that sounds strange, doesn't it? But is it really strange? Does that sound strange even today? It doesn't, does it? But is, how, this, this same idea is prevalent. It's just served up a little bit different. right? It sounds like this. Are you a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian. My father is a Christian. My grandfather is a Christian. My mother, my grandfather. I was raised in the church. Of course I'm a Christian. Is that not the same thing? It's very, very close, right? It may not be exactly the same thing, but it's the same principle, isn't it? Unfortunately, uh, no one is born a Christian. No one 
has ever entered the kingdom of God because of biology. As we have seen earlier in this book, Jesus' words in Nicodemus 3.3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, to this, this challenge from the Pharisees, Jesus responds very powerfully in verses 34 and 36, and these are his words. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Uh, here, uh, Dr. Sproul said, imagine you went to church on Sunday. Maybe you visited a church for the first time, okay? And and you show up in the worship service and Jesus is the preacher. Well, that'd be a pretty amazing experience, won't it? We don't anticipate that happening today, okay? Um, we don't anticipate that. It might happen, but we don't anticipate uh, that, right? But just imagine that that's Jesus himself was there. He's... The preacher. So imagine if he stays after church and he wants to answer some questions. Well, if if you were to ask him a question and if he were to respond with these words, most assuredly, okay, if those are the first two words out of his mouth, you better pay attention. Okay, you better pay attention. He's not about just to give you his opinion. He's about to give you something that is absolute truth. It's rock solid, it's concrete, you can take it to the bank. So Jesus responds by correcting them about their understanding of bondage. They clearly do not understand what bondage really is. Jesus here is not talking about an actual bondage, a state of slavery or even slavery to the Romans. He's not talking about that. He's talking about what? He's talking about slavery to sin. That's what he's talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Slavery to sin. The ultimate bondage in this life is not political. It's not economic enslavement. But the ultimate calamity, the ultimate bondage in this world is spiritual bondage to sin and therefore it results in a rebellion to everything about God and who God is. And that is the tragic condition of man. This also, because Jesus is talking about this kind of bondage okay, to sin, it also explains why Jesus was not willing to let himself, uh, his ministry, be reduced to merely a political ministry. Okay, He, he was not going to be a political Messiah. Remember, that's what they want. They wanted to overthrow the Romans. Well, he's not going to have any part of that because he, he knows what the real problem is. The real problem is not the Romans. Okay, that's not the problem. Now, R.C. made a point here, says, you know, people always ask questions here at this point about free will. Don't we have free will? That's the question that will come, right? Well, don't we have free will? And R.C. says, I warn people to be very careful how they understand the concept of free will. Because what secular culture teaches us, the world teaches us that we are born ethically neutral. 
and indifferent. You come into this world, you're neither good nor bad. And that idea, unfortunately, has crept into churches, into the church. Uh, The church has long held that God did make Adam and Eve as free moral agents. They were responsible for their actions, uh, their choices. They had the moral power to choose what to do and what they wanted to do. Even after the fall, the power to make choices remains. Even fallen human beings are not robots. Okay, we're not puppets. Even as fallen human beings, even fallen human beings like us, have minds to think and to choose and to make their own decisions. And as a result, they think they are free. But what Jesus is saying here that we're really not free. We are like slaves on a galley. We still have minds, we have hearts, we make choices, but the claims of slavery on our lives limit our choices. So by nature, we are slaves. We are slaves to what? Our own evil desires, our own wicked impulses, and our own lusts. We're a slave to them. Now, no one has ever forced you or me to sin. No one's ever forced me to do that. I sin because I am a sinner. Right? That's why I sin. It's who I am. I am a sinner. Um, before I don't, don't take what I just said as don't take that the wrong way. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I sin. I sin because I am a uh, because I sin. I'm a sinner, right? I'm I'm no longer slave to it. That's what I meant to say. Uh, you can we we can we we know we are sinners, um, but we have been redeemed. I guess that was my point. I didn't want to go too far with that. But we sin because it is in our nature. Now, the pagan believes back to what we said a minute ago, that his will is unaffected by the fall. Okay, that's what they, that's what they believe. What does the Bible teach us? What does Jesus teach us? He teaches that, but that our nature has, has, is so corrupt because of the fall that we are kept in moral bondage. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. That's the bondage that he's referring to. It's the bondage of our fallen nature. So Jesus... He, he keeps on explaining. Verses 37 to 38 says, I know that you are, excuse me, back, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Later he says in verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. So Jesus was saying, you might be Abraham's children, you might by lineage, but you're sure not acting like Abraham did. That's Jesus' point, right? And so they responded in verse 39, talking about Abraham. There's why Abraham is our father. That's their response. Jesus adds in the second half of verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, then what? You would do the works of Abraham. Here, Jesus defines sonship not in terms of biology, but in terms of obedience. 
if you were Abraham's, true Abraham's sons, then you would be obedient like Abraham. Well, this debate is not going well for the Pharisees, right? Jesus is not giving any ground, okay? And so they try to change the tactics a little bit. Verse 41, second half of verse 41. We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. You see what they're doing here? We can't get this guy on the hard stuff. So let's try to assault his character. Let's try to assault where he came from. Let's make it personal. Right? It's it's very possible what the what the Pharisees had in, in mind here was they were making a slanderous comment about Jesus's parentage. Okay, how who, who was born from claiming really that he didn't have a legitimate father. Is what they're trying to say here. They're saying they're saying we're sons of the Father. The, the Jews knew the story, okay, about Mary's uh, betrothal to Joseph and how Joseph the man was not Jesus' real father. And so they're trying to take advantage of that. Um, trying to change the subject a little bit, change the tactics. But Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. He doesn't follow them down the rabbit trail or take the bait. Verse 42, he says, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Now he's he's basically making the same point he made in verse 39 about sonship. He says what? Sonship's shown. How how do you show you're a son? You show by your obedience. You don't claim sonship. Well, it's just because it's, you know, that's my lineage, it's my heritage. No, you show that. By obedience. That's how you show it. Jesus, the same truth, uh, Jesus put it uh, real simple later in his ministry. He made it crystal clear, right? John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. What was he saying? Obey. If you want to remain, if you love me, then obedience. That's the requirement, right? That's what you do. That's what sons do they obey their father the the true the point Jesus is trying to make here the true sons of God because they're they're claiming to be the true sons of God Jesus is saying well you're not and he's saying the true sons of God show their love by the father to the of the father by obeying the son and not persecuting him not trying to kill him not trying to assassinate his character or assault his character Well, Jesus here at this point, he wants to cut uh, to the important matters here. Let's cut to the chase here. Let's let's get on down to something real here. Verse 43 says, Why do you not understand my speech? He answers his own question, right? Because you are not able to listen to my word. So Jesus is making this point about abiding in his word. And with this statement, Jesus is pointing out, you don't abide in my word, right? Because you can't even listen to them. 
You can't even hear them. Now, because of what Jesus says here, this is proof, okay, from the lips of Jesus that the Pharisees, these people he's addressing, were not born again. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. The Holy Spirit has not made them alive. They cannot hear the things. He says, you are not, Jesus says, you are not able to listen. You don't want to. You're not even able to listen to my word. This, this is the point, um, this point about not being able to hear their children dead in their trespasses and sins is a point that Augustine labored many years to, to make. This is, this is a point that he, that he, he tried to make in his ministry. He argued that uh, the fall in the garden left man morally impotent. Okay, morally impotent. No, no, no power to make a good moral decision. Um, fallen, he, he goes on, fallen man uh, does not come to God because he has no desire for the things of God. Because he's fallen in his nature. He doesn't, he doesn't want God in his thinking. He rejects it. He doesn't want anything to do with God. He wants self. Right? When, when you don't acknowledge God for who he is, you make yourself God. Don't you? I'm God. I get to decide. No, you're not it. I'm it. That's really what fallen man deals with. And so the fact that he's morally corrupt, he's dead to the core, spiritually dead, this is why. This is why God must change the disposition of someone's heart before they will ever respond to the words of Christ. God has to do a work. The Holy Spirit more specifically. The Holy Spirit must set him or her free. Jesus continues in verse 44. He says, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. This is where Jesus is expounding. He's explaining what is meant by this spiritual bondage or how he calls bondage to sin. Notice notice what Jesus said here. He didn't say, you do the works of the devil. He he didn't say that, right? Um, On judgment day, everyone will stand and give an account. And there may be some who say this. Well, the devil made me do it, right? The devil made me do it. How many times have you heard someone say that? The devil made me do it because after all, he's stronger than I am. And the devil is strong, isn't he? But Jesus said, you do the works of the devil because you want to do the works of the devil. That's what Jesus is saying here. In your fallen nature, that is the desire of your heart. You want to do those things. This is what your heart desires. By nature, before God does it, before the Holy Spirit does it work in our lives, we love the darkness. 
We love the darkness. Why? Because we can hide there. We hide there. We can hide our own personal sins where nobody knows. We can keep them a secret. And what happens with the light? Why do we reject the light? Why do we reject God? Because the light exposes our evil deeds and lets everyone see them for what they are. And we don't like that. We don't want the light in our lives. And that is what sin is. Sin is having the desire in our hearts to do the will of the enemy. That's what sin does in our lives. We want to do the will of the enemy of God. Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 2 in the first three verses. This is crystal clear. The words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is a picture of the bondage that Jesus is referring to. Jesus goes further. He names some of Satan's Wishes. What is Satan like? What does he enjoy? Verse 44, the second half. Jesus says, He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the murderer, and the Pharisees who were walking according to to their own minds, the desires, they're, they're seeking to kill Jesus. They want to murder Jesus. Are they doing the works of their father? At this point, yes, they are. Satan does not live for the truth. He lives for the opposite of the truth. He lives for lies. He seeks to destroy. Jesus adds in verse 45, He says, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Do you, you see the two points that Jesus was making? The first point is, don't tell me you're children of Abraham. Because if you were, you would do the things Abraham loved. Okay. The second point is, and don't claim to be children of God. Because if you were, you would love the things of God. But the reality is, they hate the things of God. Uh, Dr. Sproadi says, this kind of teaching... This teaching of Jesus comes like a freight train against the basic beliefs of American culture today. We're told that God has many faces, right? Yeah. You can choose how we get to Him. You can believe in Muhammad. You can believe in Buddha or any kind as, as long as you are sincere. Well, Jesus completely rejects that idea. That is of the world. That is not of God. Jesus says if we reject Jesus, we reject the Father. Jesus goes on in verse 47. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. 
Dr. Sproul, as you know, he, he pastored, he was senior pastor of St. Andrew's Chapel in Orlando, Florida. And he said, every time that I stand to read the Word of God in a worship service, I end by saying these words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We find that in the Gospel of Mark. That is not an empty ritual. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our own pastor. What is, what is Matthew? What are the words that we hear almost every Sunday after he reads the word? The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. That is not empty ritual. What should that remind each and every one of us after we hear the word? This is real. What I just read is real. It lasts forever. The truth never fades. It's always the truth. We must take very seriously the, the truth that is found in the word of God. And, and the words of truth, because what we know we've just been talking about it, because Jesus has been talking about it. They will fall on deaf ears unless the Holy Spirit opens them. The Holy Spirit must unplug ears. And that's, that's, that's why it's our prayer, right? We, we pray that the Lord will open people's eyes. We pray that the Lord will remove the scales from their eyes, remove the plugs from their ears so they can see. And you know, there are many uh, who don't like this doctrine, okay, of the Bible, right? But you know what? Those people who don't like it, you know how they pray when they pray for an unbeliever? How do they pray? How do they pray? For, for someone with an Armenian background who believes, hey, I choose and God doesn't act first. How do they pray for people? They're lost. God, would you please save them? Wait a minute. You see how they pray? They're praying for God to act while denying the fact that He does. It's a big difference, isn't it? And they say it, but do they really believe that? I don't think they do because of how they pray. Jesus continues. Jesus continues his debate. They accuse him of being a Samaritan and having a demon. Why do they call him a Samaritan? What's the point here? Well, the reference to Jesus as a Samaritan probably centers around the fact that the Samaritans, like Jesus here, questioned the Jews' exclusive right to be called Abraham's sons. Okay, so they're trying to connect him with, hey, you're talking like a Samaritan. Well, he denies this, right? And he affirms in verse 51, he says, Most assuredly, those words again, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. What Jesus is saying, if, if you... Hear what I say, you obey my teaching, and you follow me, you will have eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. You'll never see death. Yes, surely, you will pass from this world to the next. There'll be a physical death, right? But you live on forever, eternal life. The Pharisees, Betsy said, there's no way 
that Jesus could be greater than Abraham or the prophets. They say this in verse 53, to which Jesus replied, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How they respond? Verse 57, You are not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Notice, notice he didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He didn't say that, did he? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Powerful words. I am who I am. The same words, right? When Moses, when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh, what did Moses say? Who should I say sent me? You tell him, I am who I am sent you. This is perhaps the clearest announcement from the lips of Jesus claiming his divinity. This is probably the clearest place in all of Scripture where Jesus clearly says he's God. He's divine. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Jesus claims to be before everything. That means what? He's he's God. He's he's the second person of the Trinity. Now, in making this statement, okay, it, it, it didn't take but a minute. Okay, the Pharisees did not miss what he was saying. They immediately understood the implications of what Jesus just said. What John tells us, they picked up stones to kill him on the spot. This man just basically said he's God. They knew it. They are going to kill him on the spot. But Jesus would not have that because as we have been building out through these, ten- these tensions times, this hour has not yet come. In verse 49, Jesus said, says that, but John tells us that Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. What are some of our takeaways? We'll be brief as we close, as we conclude. What does Jesus tell us about being disciples of His? He says, disciples of mine abide in my word. They remain in my word. Those those who abide in the word know the truth and they are the ones who are set free. You can tell those who are set free in this world. Why? Because they're not taken away by every whim okay, that comes along. They're, they're not easily distressed. Sure, they have problems. Oh, sure. We, we struggle, right? We, we have issues. We worry sometimes when we shouldn't. But, but Christians who are a mind, uh, abiding in the truth are, are focused. They are, they are grounded in the Word because of who God is. And those who do not, who do not abide in the Word, what's Jesus telling us? They are in bondage to sin. They want to do the things of the devil. As we as we see this 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 um, debate uh, between Jesus and the Pharisees, the important question for all of us to ask is, where do you stand? Right, that's the question to ask. Where do you stand? 
Are you abiding in the Word? And abiding in the truth? Remaining with Him? Or are you in bondage to sin? I'll close with this quote from Matthew Henry. Let us steadfast profess what we know and believe concerning God. And if heirs of Abraham's faith, we shall rejoice in looking forward to that day when the Savior shall appear in glory to the confusion of all His enemies and to complete the salvation of all who believe in Him. The bell has rung for our visitors. That means I'm supposed to stop. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time. Uh, Father, we ask that Your Word... Father, as is powerful, it is true. We pray that you would give us eyes to hear and to understand. Unstop our ears, Father. Use your word to work out in our lives, Father. May that we would um, seek to to be in your word, to abide in it, Father. And we pray that you will use it uh, to change us uh, tomorrow because we were here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.